a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. So I'm here with Darren Walters, co-founder of J-Tree Records, associate teaching professor at Drexel, and director of Mad Dragon Music Group and Mad Dragon Records. What's up? Um, do you remember what band or what album, like, spot? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> Even though I'm laughing, I don't mind saying. The first album I bought, completely ridiculously nerdy, was Pac-Man Fever by Buck Dixon Garcia. <laughs> um, quickly followed by um, the, the first band that I really got into due to um, my best friend at the time was Styx. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, and then that that very quickly went into Rush. Um, so Rush was really like my first big love, my first concert. Mm-hmm. Being in Dungeons and Dragons, being mm-hmm. in the fantasy stuff, you throw in the the, the awesome Rush lyrics. I'm really into <laughs> literature, yeah, and the music and all that. It was just you know completely absorbing yeah. for a 13 year old boy. I was just like, wow. Based off of the little I know about Rush, it seems like a religious experience when mm-hmm. people talk about it. Like, I think about Freaks and Geeks. You ever yeah, watched yeah. that show? But they, it's like this mecca of music and Rush. That's Neil Peart. That's, he's the greatest drummer alive. It's about outcasts. Like, listen, you're clearly not like everybody else. Right. And if you're not like everybody else, chances are the world wants to crush you under its wheels. Yeah. So the only chance you have is to accentuate your difference and you know rise up again i mean that's kind of that you know that's kind of that anti-authoritarian attitude that pushes you further towards mm-hmm. being different in a way that's positive that's what i think is attractive to many raj fans is that yeah. they're even you know traditionally their looks they're not like a a look band you know you look at right. led zeppelin and you know people go like led zeppelin they look like rock gods of course yeah. rush no one was ever like oh that's three good looking gods <laughs> <laughs> Also, this might be a bit of a tangent. You love Duran Duran. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. So, if you think yeah, yeah. about Rush and Duran Duran together, yeah, all, I, I mean, I'm unabashedly a Duran Duran fan. Given my age, given that time frame, the '80s, you know, the explosion of music videos. Did you grow up in a musical household, or was music a way for you to kind of formulate your own thing? Well, I don't think I had a very musical family. However, music was always on. Mm. In those days, because I'm so old, uh, it was AM radio, but I kind of emerged Mm -hmm. from the AM shadows, and from there, I was completely immersed. And that's when I started buying records and going to concerts of all 
types of stuff. Yeah, and finding your people, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and finding your communities, which leads me to, to think about how do you move from being a listener to a participant and going to shows and then eventually kind of creating your own stuff. In the uh, early 80s, the industry was different. The, the local radio stations, um, and this includes Delaware as much as Philadelphia, they supported local music, and so did the local publications. And then, of course, it started to get a little further away, and that's that's the point where I got into bands. Mm-hmm. The, the thing about punk rock was you could look around and see, this person's doing a fanzine, this person's doing a label, this person's doing a radio show. It, it dawned on me after a while that maybe the band thing is something that's not going to entirely work out for me. Mm. Is there something else I can do? Because I definitely want to do music. When I just thought, I don't know, I'll start a label because that way I can still work with bands. You know, I tell my own students, anybody can do any of this stuff. It's whether you're just going to realize, like, did I get into this for the long haul? Mm -hmm. And really the hardest part was, how am I going to pay for this again? (laughs) Or money's coming in, which is great, but we got to send out all these records and you're cutting pieces of cardboard or you're dumpster diving and getting boxes and you're carrying 50 things to the post office. And those are the things that really manifest themselves as like, why did I do this? (laughs) Does it ever get more complicated than just... Oh, God, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Of course. That's kind of what I was thinking. That's the beginning. And if you don't get out then... about emotional labor. You're investing yourself into making these things work. And I don't know how you begin to negotiate all of that. Our distributor Warnam distributed some of the most classic punk labels uh, and, and and also, you know, Maximum Rock and Roll magazine mm-hmm. and um, Alternative Tentacles and Lookout, Kill Rockstar. So we were surrounded by big personalities even if they didn't say, you should do stuff, we always could say, wow, what do they think about things? One of my mentors, when she picked us up, picked up J-Tree for distribution, she said, you know, you don't do this for money. And I was like, oh, I'm very aware. <laughs> and that's and that's the fact. It's not like the money is necessarily flowing in. So you're really doing it for your own satisfaction. You're really, you're really waiting for that one person who says, I really love this. Mm. Define J Tree's output. Is it punk, hardcore? Am I allowed to say emo? Yeah, punk, hardcore, emo, electric stuff, acoustic stuff, singer songwriter, indie, eclectic, undefinable. That was really our point from day one was that Tim and I both had 100% straight edge hardcore labels. Mm-hmm. And when we came together, we were like, look, this is who we are, but this is not what we want to project to the world. So if we want to put out a hip hop record or we want to put out a metal record, we should be able to. Mm -hmm. And certainly initially, people were very confused by that. But it seems to make sense considering your earlier talk about openness and the desire to like put these things in conversation with each other. Like you can listen to Rush and Duran Duran and then use this as a means of finding new ways and broadening your horizons. I, I I just enjoy music. I just am interested to know what your favorite bands are now. What oh, are you listening to? Gosh. 
I just listened to all my LPs in alphabetical order. I just got finished. Wow. Yeah. How long did that take? About two years <laughs> because I just listened to some all over the place. Wang Chung, <laughs> Warzone, X, Yaz, Youth of the Day, yes. Uh, what a smorgasbord. Zero Boys. What started this project? And do you often take on these thematic <laughs> projects? Like, I'm no. going to listen from A to no, Z, you know or what? I'm just going to listen to British pop from 1972 no, you to know 1974. What, I'll tell you what started was um, I started with a and i did find some records that for instance i was like wow that is better than i remember it and mm -hmm. a lot of records i was like that was worse than i remember it mm -hmm. i did listen to a lot of duran duran 12 inch remixes <laughs> so I had a lot of those um i still think either they were not in the salon is horribly mixed record and i still love my Warzone record a uh, verbal assault record was trial was warped um i was waiting for certain records and i realized they weren't there anymore found oh. some of those not cool. And I wondered, where could that have gone? Pop the Question is brought to you by Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. Pannoni Honors College is invested in undergraduate research, scholar development, and interdisciplinary scholarship. With students from various backgrounds and academic fields of study, the Honors College engages its community in complex ideas. Info at drexel.edu slash Pannoni. That's P-E-N-N-O-N-I. Pannoni Honors College, a place for active learning, high achievement, and community. There's a lot of evolutionary rhetoric in your talking. You talk a lot about adaptability and evolution and, like, doing the right thing. How do you interpret that relationship between, like, the independent music scene and the big studio labels? With any of the licensing music stuff, I always for the most part had have had great relationships on that side mm -hmm. I, i'm just I, i'm just not a fan of of big business <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I would much rather be in a van with a bunch of people which which really stinks but like literally <laughs> yeah yeah it, because it's just more who i am i mean i believe me i can be a prima donna but <laughs> at the same time it's just the, the the whole corporate thing is just a it's just a bummer i teach film and thinking about the relationship between Hollywood and independent films where you see like independent films doing this thing. And then Hollywood is like, oh, look, people seem really into this. So oh, they we're going to be doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, definitely, they definitely caught the style. I mean, there's, <laughs> no, there's no doubt about it. As an indie label, like how do you kind of deal with this big momentous move towards digitization and there are access? There are a couple of, at least for us, couple of companies were offering money for digital rights. First of all, I was just really skeptical mm. about digital stuff. I was like, well, I don't know what's going to happen with digital stuff, but if they want to give us this much money, I'm just going to say no, <laughs> because it must mean something. Well, it did prove to be a prudent move because we kept our digital rights. It still took about till mid 2000s before we really started to feel the bite mm. of, of digital stuff. Part of that is also tied in with, you know, the economy in 2007, 2008. Pressing plants are going out of business. People aren't buying CDs. Places to buy music are going away. More stores are going away. And distributors are going away. Mm -hmm. You know, the economy is going in, in the tank. So all these things are kind of coagulating. And you have an easier way to buy music and steal music. Um, it makes being a label much harder. Mm -hmm. But you're realizing that you're perpetuating the careers of of artists 
because kids have a way to discover something that they never heard before. Mm -hmm. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, especially I always found things through like the genealogy of like certain bands. So when that genealogy becomes even more open, you can get lost in those those trees a little bit more, which is exciting for somebody listening. Of course. Um, Especially when you don't have to buy it. Yeah. In that same vein, now you can make a piece of vinyl. And if I wanted to take a record and and emboss it Mm -hmm. and make it two LPs and make it 180 gram vinyl and really do something cool with it, I can sell it for $25 and a fan won't balk at that. They'll go, that's that's cool. I'll pay for that. I mean, wow. It's just uh, that that to me is talk about a comeback. Yeah. Speaking of comebacks and lessons, like how do you transfer this knowledge into your teaching to students who have grown up with predominantly digital and just discovering vinyl? I'm showing examples for every kind of artist under the sun for LPs because hmm. everybody's making them. Yeah. You know, it's Fergie, it's Drake, it's, you know, it's Beach House, it's, it's, it's anyone. Mm-hmm. Nothing has changed in terms of the setup. All the time frame is really the same. I mean, sure, it, it can be whittled down a little bit. But the time frame really exists in the same way because you still have to get the same people more or less interested. Especially in this marketplace where if you just drop it without any support or any kind of like push, then it just like it might as well not exist. We're not talking about Beyonce, right? (laughs) I mean, I mean, that's the thing. You know, they go, well, uh, Drake did this. And it's like, okay, well, we're not. uh, When we have Drake. Are you Drake? (laughs) I, I also think that's just an issue in the industry period is everybody's looking for that edge mm-hmm. in a crowded market where everyone's pinned to you know oh, i don't listen to music because i'm listening to podcasts now you know when i do my gardening um you know or i'm watching the march madness and i'm listening to music while i play sudoku i mean you know <laughs> so you're trying to compete with all this other stuff yeah i mean it's just all about letting turning people's heads getting them to pay attention again there's too much other stuff going out there there's somebody at that next Subway stop, busking, there's someone else putting a video on YouTube, there's someone else doing what you're not doing mm-hmm. constantly. And finding new methods to do it. Absolutely. And p- feeling passionate about it. What's your job in the music industry anyway is to convert people. I mean, mm-hmm. depending on what you do, but most of the time it's about converting people to a consumer and somebody buy my ticket, mm-hmm. buy my album. Here's a t-shirt. Yeah, you don't have to be you know, ABC, always be close, and, <laughs> right? But you do have to be willing to engage with people because, you know, if you want to be a publicist and you're an introvert, how are you, you I mean, your job is to go out and meet people and talk to them and try and get people to to, to, to talk about the artists and the people that you, you want to, to get press. Mm-hmm. How are you going to do that if you're in a shell? <laughs> Yeah, that's not necessarily the best look. If you can't feel passionate or excited about the people that you want to promote, how do you convince other people to well, care? In a lot of industries, and music industry is one, when you're out and you're seeing live music or you're just out somewhere and you're engaging with people and you're talking, you get inspired doing that. I don't know what you get inspired doing sitting at home. I hope that's not uninspiring for someone, but I don't think sitting at home is inspiring. I feel like you can be inspired, but what does that inspiration lead you to do? Like I can sit at home and be inspired all day, gotcha. but if I'm not doing anything active with it, then what's kind of the point of being inspired? All right, what was the last concert you saw? Oh, was uh... <laughs> <laughs> Murphy's Law. 
<laughs> I mean, I've seen Murphy's Law so many times, but it's just funny in the sense that, like, you might as well be 16 again. Yeah. Except everyone's 55. <laughs> and before that, it was, uh, I went to a bunch of shows when I was in Brazil. Some awesome Is this for study abroad? Yeah, this was for study abroad. What are you doing down for study abroad in Brazil? It's called um, music and culture. Mm. You know what Philly's like? Now, here's Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the studios we go to, they're like a, a record label, a publisher. Um, go to Samba Club. Always very cool. Most people, like myself, don't dance. So that's always great because <laughs> you can't not Samba pretty much because once we go there and the band starts playing and, and people just kind of get swept up in it. There is something about watching a band live. So how do we kind of put that in this bigger conversation about accessibility, musicality, experience, emotional labor, investment? Well, the market will will tell you that live performance is still vastly important and people are still coming out. You know, you don't have any interaction with other human beings for most of the time. So it is important to, to have a visceral experience, more personal connection. So it's a weird thing. I think the further we get from each other, yeah, no, the more connected we get to each other, too. You go to a show and you're like, I thought I might be the only person here. But then you see that there are a lot more people than just you and that there is something bringing you all to this thing. Um, what are your feelings toward the future of music? One of the issues, continuation, is going to be certainly how people get paid hmm. and who owns what. But there are still plenty of places globally where music has yet to expand. You have Sub-Saharan Africa, China is still an issue. All these places where if you get people listening and paying for music, I mean, is it gonna solve the issues in music? No. Is it going though to to add to the vast amount of consumption in the music industry worldwide? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We're we're not talking about a couple million people, we're talking about billions Mm -hmm. of people. And as technology becomes more stable in some of these places, I mean, you're just going to continue to see music explode. Everybody loves music mm-hmm. and engages with music more than ever before. Mm-hmm. Well, Darren, thanks for sitting down and talking to us about J-Tree, about music, about students, about Rush, about yeah. Duran Duran. I learned a lot. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Pop. The question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our audio engineering and theme was produced by Brian Cantoric. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paul Morans-Cohen, and Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. 